Child of Our Time interview, Yvonne Kelly from UCL and Jonathan Douglas and Christina Clark from the Literacy Trust talk about the benefits of reading over their life course. Yvonne begins by talking about what her research shows about the benefits of reading to and with very young children. The more frequently parents read to their children, the more likely those children are to have better emotional and social development and the more likely they are to have better verbal skills and be ready to learn at school when they enter school. These children are young, they're only three, four, five-year-old children. And we also show that when parents change the frequency of their reading to children, that has an impact on things like their social and emotional development. So, for instance, if a parent changes from weekly or less than weekly reading to daily reading, their children's social and emotional development improves. Jonathan, as someone who's campaigning really hard to raise awareness about the benefits of reading, I'm guessing these findings probably don't surprise you, um, but do they do a lot to sort of provide you with the sort of evidence to back up the work that you're doing to try to get children reading well, particularly in that first decade, for example? What this does is help us understand the fundamental relationship between literacy and inequality. I mean, what we can begin to see is that trajectory open up, which actually disposes those children who are read to from an early age to success, supports their development, but actually the disadvantage which children who don't receive that experience. And we know very clearly from, from our work that actually, you know, in communities where there are high levels of literacy, we see prosperity, we see success, but actually for those families and those communities where literacy level is, uh, levels are low, there are significant problems. And this isn't just a UK issue. Mm. Looking across the OECD, you, know, you can see in each country the fault line in that society illustrated by literacy. In India, high levels of literacy amongst men, low levels amongst women. Um, in this country, the fault line is, is predominantly socioeconomic. Now we're going to be talking in a moment about the Trust's own recent report on, on reading for pleasure. But Yvonne, first, you've been doing some interesting new work around how those benefits in early life play out over the first decade of children's lives. So what does that show? What we did was we looked at children's verbal development, so that their speech and their reading abilities right across that first decade of life. So from when they were tiny, sort of three-year-olds, right through to when they were age 11, just about to leave primary school. And we found that there were three broad patterns of children's verbal development. There was an, an, an average group with the majority of children kind of had average scores throughout that first decade of their lives. And we found a very high achieving group. These children started in their early childhoods with higher scores than the average and stretched away as they were leaving primary school, their scores were much, much higher. We also found a low achieving group they always had scores which were below the average line and towards the age when they were leaving primary school they were doing even worse than they had been doing earlier in childhood. So we went on to look at children on these different pathways of verbal development to see which aspects of their well-being they also mm. uh, were linked up with and we found that children who are on the low achieving group were much more likely to have poor self-esteem, uh, poor mental health and to be experimenting with health-related behaviours such as smoking cigarettes and drinking alcohol. So we looked at the factors which were associated with being in this high-achieving group and what we found was that for children who were read to on a daily basis um, at the beginning of that early childhood period, so the age of three and five, they were about twice as likely to be on that high-performing trajectory. 
So what that tells us is that reading is linked to being on a high-performing trajectory, and being on a high-performing trajectory has knock-on benefits in terms of children's overall development when they're entering the adolescent period. So reading really matters? It does. So Christina, the evidence is, is very clear there in that, that first decade of the benefits of being read to and reading over yeah. that, that, those first 10 years. They make a huge difference to how children are getting on. But then what does your research show about what happens with children's reading after that, particularly when it comes to reading for pleasure? One of the things that we look at is the degree to which children say that they enjoy reading and the degree to which they do it in their free time. And our latest report shows that since 2005, um, there has been an increase in the number of children who say that they do enjoy reading in their free time, so that's good. However, what we still have is there are certain subgroups of children who don't enjoy reading quite as much as others. So for example, that's ten that tends to be boys, regardless of age. That tends to be children from um, free school meal backgrounds, and it tends to be um, actually white boys, and particularly white, white boys from free school near backgrounds. What we did find this year, though, because we also had attainment data to play with, is that boys in particular, so boys age 10, who enjoy reading, have a reading age of, of 10.5, compared to um, the, their peers who don't enjoy reading, who lag behind uh, by about a year. That gap then magnifies to 3.3 years at age 14. So there's a 3.3 year difference in, in, children, in boys who enjoy reading versus who don't enjoy reading. And I guess if we had data for age 16, we might have seen that that gap would have increased even further. So you know, from, from that perspective, promoting enjoyment of reading and promoting the degree to which children read in their free time is, is of paramount importance when it comes to then also looking at, at their skill. Indeed, Jonathan, I'd like you to pick up there because I think you know, th those are some really important findings that are uh, the policymakers, educators, we should all be sitting up and taking note of. As Christina says, you know, the correlation between reading for enjoyment and reading and literacy skills is now so firmly established. Mm. And as she said, it gets stronger as children get older. Mm. But of course, the likelihood of children reading for enjoyment diminishes as they get older. So there, there is a very, there is a very strong challenge there. The issue is that actually what sits at the heart of reading for enjoyment is intrinsic motivation. You've got to do it because you want to do it. It's not the stick and the carrot, it's actually that internal motivation. So what we're encouraging policymakers, parents, stakeholders to do is actually think about how children internally engage themselves as readers, not simply how reading is taught, but how actually how it excites and ignites a child's imagination and enthusiasm. So linking very clearly to areas of interest, thinking about children's choice and sense of agency as readers, all these kind of things are really, really important. Um, Yvonne, you've got your hands now on the Millennium Cohort Study data of children age 14, so you're starting to be able to tell a, a story about these, these young children. Children and, and, and reading and all of the things that are in, important in their lives across those 14 years. What, 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 are you, what are you getting your hands on? What's new? What can you find? What will you be able to tell us, do you think? <laughs> well, really picking back up on, on the, what Christina's just said, we know that reading for enjoyment is, is correlated very strongly with children's reading age and their verbal um, abilities and so on. And we know that children who are read to in the very early years by their parents also have better verbal skills. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that we would like to do is try to disentangle that. We know that 
fewer than half of these uh, individuals, these young people in their early adolescent phase, we know that fewer than half of them report enjoying reading. We don't know what necessarily the things are that predict, the things that influence that enjoyment of reading. So trying to look at those those relationships what are the things in children's environment what are the structural things what are the things to do with their families their social and, and economic milieu really that play out over their preceding 14 years mm. you know taking that life course perspective what are the things that inform or influence rather how uh, young people become those who enjoy and embrace reading for pleasure and Jonathan, how important is that sort of new and emerging evidence going to be to help your trust do the work that it's trying to do on the ground with, with children, with parents, with educators, with businesses, with policymakers? Um, it's absolutely vital because of what you've just said, mm-hmm. that actually what we're, what we're clearly learning is that the solutions to this challenge do not simply lay, lie in the classroom or even the classroom or the library. This is about how we mobilise the assets which sit around a child, you know, those overlapping circles of influence that actually create the environment which a child grows up in, and how we make sure that they all interconnect and support language, reading, and an engagement with text and ideas. Um, so it's key because we've got to get the message across, not simply to teachers, not simply to librarians, but to society as a whole. Just finally, I'd like to ask you all, is what, do, what does success look like when it comes to, to reading? I think at a personal level, what I would like to see is a much broader concept of what reading is. So actually all, all forms of reading are being seen as being permissible forms of reading that teach someone, if, if it goes back to teaching, that teach uh, a child something. Yeah. So not just books in their traditional form? But... No, absolutely not. No, because I think you know, we're now in, living in a society where the the media are some so much more divergent than they've ever been and to be able to to hone in and and utilize all of the different formats of of reading and writing i think is going to be uh, paramount but also a challenge Yvonne? for me in addition to what uh, christina's just said it's about equality of opportunity we cannot do anything about uh, reducing inequalities social inequalities in health or employment prospects and so on and so forth without individuals having that equal opportunity to access materials it's absolutely essential that people can understand written material and text and material in order to navigate their way through this very complex world that we all live in so for me really i think equal opportunity and it's it's basically a matter of social justice i started my life off as a as a children's librarian and the, the moments I will never forget are those moments when basically people told me that reading was not for them and not for the likes of them. And I think the point is that actually a lot of us hold on to reading and turn reading into something that's socially very important and that's quite exclusive. So I think for me success is actually the idea that you know, literacy is the foundation of human rights, it is the foundation of democracy. Everyone needs to feel at home and to own being literate, and it's for the likes of everybody. It's about intervention points. We think and we believe and we understand that there's a huge amount of focus on the early years, but it's never too late. And there are other points in the child's educational journey which are equally potentially important where we can maximise the payoffs. You know. I, think, I, th- I think that's that's particularly true at the moment. I mean, we're very concerned about the literacy levels of school leaders. You know, the PIAC data suggests that actually the 16 to 24 cohort in this country has got the lowest 
reading skills of any age cohort, yet they're the kids who went through the National Literacy Strategy, who actually, you know, after the Second World War, were the first cohort at school age who looked as if they were doing better than their predecessors. So actually, it's early interventions, absolutely getting as far upstream as but not taking the foot off the accelerator yeah. is, is, is key. Stemming that, that widening, we've seen it from, the, from, from your data, mm. from the Millennium Cohort Study data, we see this yawning gap and it widens in, in those kind of childhood and adolescent years in terms of verbal skills and trajectories. But, and we know it's not just about the educational environment. There are broader forces at work, there are structural factors in society which are really shaping all of our lives, but importantly our children's lives and how they flourish and, and, and thrive in the future. Yvonne Kelly, Jonathan Douglas and Christina Clark were talking about the benefits of reading over the life course. You can find out more about the research discussed on the Child of Our Time blog at www.childofourtimeblog.org.uk and more about the work of the Literacy Trust at www.literacytrust.org.uk. This episode of the Child of Our Time podcast was presented by me, Chris Garrington, and produced by Research Podcasts.